Well, this morning we are wrapping up our series that we have entitled Margins, Making Space for What Matters Most. And so far we've looked at moral margins, we've looked at time margins, and today we're going to be looking at financial margins. I've discovered that if we don't have moral margins, we will find ourselves doing things we never thought we could ever possibly do. No one ever planned on becoming an alcoholic or a drug addict. No one ever planned on cheating on their spouse. No one ever planned on stealing money from their employer. But because people did not establish margins, because they got too close to the edge, they ended up sliding into a life they never thought possible. We need moral margins. We also need time margins in our life because if we don't have time margins one day we will wake up and realize that the things that were most important in life our relationship with God our our relationship with our spouse our relationship with our kids we didn't have time for those things because our calendar was already filled up with other things and we will look back on life and and we will realize that because we did not have time margins we missed out on the most important things but here's what I believe I believe that financial margins affect every other area of our life if we don't have financial margin if we have too much month for our money it can cause us to make unwise choices in regard to our time because we feel the pressure to make more money and if we do not have enough financial margin, it can cause us to drop our guard morally because of the stress we are under. A report in psychology today found that conflict over money was the number one cause of divorce in America today. Not sexual immorality, not communication, but money was the number one cause of divorce in marriages today. A poll published in USA Today newspaper revealed that 58% of all Americans either always or sometimes worry about money. 55% either always worry about money or sometimes worry about money. Jazz musician Louis Armstrong said it this way. He said, money can't buy happiness, but it sure does calm your nerves. And I think that we would all agree that that's true. Money can never bring lasting happiness. But money, if properly managed, if properly used, does make life a whole lot less stressful and a whole lot more enjoyable. And the good news is, God has a lot to say about money. There are over 2,300 verses in the Bible where God addresses this subject of money. 2,300. 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus told had to do with either our money or our possessions. Now think about that for a moment. If God spoke about money, if God spoke about possessions so much, and we believe that the Bible is indeed God's Word, then shouldn't we want to know what God has to say on this subject? Here's what I believe. If we discover what God says about 
money and we begin to apply what God says about money, it will change everything in regard to how we look at money, how we spend money, how we make money, how we give money. Then I want us to begin this morning by looking at a passage that I believe is, is one of the most important passages in the Bible that kind of gives us a foundation for how we should look at money and how we should use money. It is found in Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. The verses will be on the screen. But if you do, go ahead and turn there because I think there's some verses that you're probably going to want to underline. You're going to want to circle some things. You're probably going to want to go back and, and look at this passage a little bit more a little bit later. Now let's begin in verse 6. Listen to how Paul begins. He says, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. And let's stop there for just a moment. Did you notice those two words, those two characteristics that Paul gave us? He talked about godliness, and he talked about contentment. Now, godliness comes from a relationship with God. Godliness comes from putting God first in our life. And contentment is a byproduct of godliness. Contentment comes from knowing that God loves us, that he's going to watch over us, and that he is going to meet our needs. And so Paul says godliness combined with contentment, is of great wealth. In other words, regardless of what you have heard in the past about money and about wealth and about possessions, if you combine these two, godliness and contentment, that in and of itself will bring great wealth to your life. And so I ask you before we go any further this morning, are you seeking after godliness? Is it your desire to put God first in your life? And is contentment springing out of that godliness in your life? Now let's continue. Paul goes on to say this, After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have food and clothing... Let us be content. Now, Paul reminds us that, that we can't take anything with us when we die. And sure, we can leave it to our kids as an inheritance, and we can let them enjoy it, and we can let them fight over it. But as far as taking it with us, we can't take it with us. And Paul said, because we can't take it with us, because we can't pack it up in the coffin and take it over to the other side with us, if we have food, if we have clothing, then we should be content. But somewhere along life's journey, we have lost that, haven't we? We are no longer content with having our basic needs met. Most of us, I would dare say almost all of us have this big wish list of wants that we feel like are necessary. And we will never be content. We will never experience real happiness until we have these things. And Paul tells us that that is a very dangerous place to be in. Because he says that, that if we have food to eat, if we have clothing to wear, then then we should be content. So Paul gives us a warning. Listen to what he says. But people 
who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Did you get that? Paul said people who long to be rich. In other words, that's their goal. That's their aim. That's their desire in life. That is what is driving them. Their desire to have more and more and more. Now it's important for you to see Paul doesn't say people who are rich. People, Paul doesn't say people who get rich. But Paul says rather those who are driven by the desire to get rich. People whose desire is to have more and more and more and more. Now the Bible uses a variety of terms to describe that. The Bible calls that greed, materialism, the love of money. And Paul says that love for money, that greed, that materialism, is a very dangerous thing. And yet, let's be honest, that's the American way. That's the American dream. We feel like it's our right to have more and more and more. But Paul says it's dangerous. Paul says that is a trap. It causes people to do things they should never do and act in ways they should never act. Paul says that it causes them to end up doing foolish things. It causes them to end up doing harmful things. He even says that some have wandered from the faith because of their desire for more money. And so beginning in verse 17, Paul gives us a command. Listen to what he says. Teach those or, or command those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Paul, first of all, tells us to trust God. Don't trust riches. Our bank accounts can be depleted. Our savings accounts and retirements can disappear. It's not the money that's in the bank or in our retirement or under our mattress that brings security. Security comes from God who provides us everything we need. And listen to what Paul says. God provides us everything we need for our enjoyment. Paul says that he not only gives us food, he not only gives us clothing, Paul says that if we trust God, if we use our resources in a way that honors God, God is going to give us everything we need to enjoy life. But he doesn't stop there. Uh, listen to what he says. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Paul said we should use our time and we should use our treasures to help other people. And when we do this, we will be storing up treasures for all eternity. What God is saying here is this, when we follow His plan, and we don't make money and having money the most important thing in our life, we make 
God and serving God and loving God the most important thing in our life, then he will provide for us even in the most difficult of times. Now, with that said, what I want to do is give you a plan. I'm going to give you a plan this morning that I believe will guarantee that you can have financial margin in your life. If you're here this morning, you say, I've got too much month for my money. If you say, I just don't make enough. I'm here to tell you that I'm going to give you a plan that can give you more money at the end of your month. I'm here to tell you that I've got a plan that can provide you with financial peace. But here's the deal. You've got to do it all. You can't do one of the things or two of the things or three of the things. You've got to do all five of them. And if you do, then the God of all creation, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who owns all and makes all and has all, will come to your defense and will work with you to make sure that not only are your needs met, but that you have everything in life that you need to enjoy life. So let me give you what I believe is a financial peace plan. Here's the first thing. It's the most important thing. You've got to put God first. Now, I know that's the most controversial. I know that it's the one that causes the most of us to kind of bow up a little bit and put up our defenses. But the fact of the matter is, this is the most important one. Unless you get this one down pat, it doesn't matter if you do everything else. Because without this piece of the puzzle, you're never going to have God working with you. And so the first thing you have to do is you have to put God first. Here's what Solomon said in in Proverbs chapter 3. He said, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first and the best of all your income. Then your barns will be full and your vats will overflow with fresh wine. Now notice what God says. God says that you don't give him your leftovers. You don't give him what is left over at the end of the month after you've paid all of your other bills. No, God says that you give him your first and your best. And then he says this. He says when you give God your first and your your best, he will bless you. And your bars will be full and your vats will overflow. Then I know that those terms don't mean a lot for us today. But you need to understand that in Solomon's day, they were farmers. They were herdsmen. And if your barn was filled, that was a good thing. That meant that you had excess. If your vats were full, that was a good thing. That meant that you had excess. And so what Solomon is saying is when you put God first, when you give him your best, then God is going to take the rest and he is going to multiply it. Now Jesus said pretty much the exact same thing. Jesus said this. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then everything else will be added to you. In other words, Jesus was saying this. When you put God first then God will take up the slack and provide you everything you need in life. If you put God first, then God is on the hook to provide everything else you need. 
Now, now what does that look like when it comes to the Christian life? What does that look like when it comes to the area of my giving? Well, here's what it says in Leviticus 27. It says, a tithe of everything belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Listen, a tithe of your income, 10% of what you make is the Lord's. It is holy. It is to be set apart for His use, for His honor, and for His glory. And the prophet Malachi said that when we don't do that, when we withhold the tithe, we are literally robbing God. Did you get that? That's a big, big deal. A tithe of all that we owe, God says, is to be given to God. It's to be used for His glory, His honor. It's holy. And when we don't give it, we are robbing God. Now, some of you will say, well, that's under the law. Well, can I just tell you, that's not good exegesis. That's not good biblical exposition. Because if you look at the New Testament, you'll discover that grace compels us to do far more than the law could ever command us to do. Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not kill. But I say to you, if you hate your brother, if you call your brother a fool, Jesus said, do not commit, a, or Jesus said, the law says, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look at a woman and lust after her, you've already committed adultery. Grace compels us to do far more than the law could ever cause us to do. Now, why did God say that we need to tithe? Why did God say that? Well, in Deuteronomy 14, it says this in the Living Bible. It says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. In other words, God uses finances as a tool to help us learn how to put God first in every area of our life. Here's what I believe with all my heart. Don't get upset. Don't get ticked off. I'm warning you. Don't get ticked off because it's coming, okay? If you aren't tithing, you probably aren't putting God first in any other area of your life. That's just a fact. It's easy to put God first in the area of finances. Yes, it takes faith. Yes, it's scary. But it's an easy thing. It's a choice that I make. And here's what God says about this. God says, test me in this and see if I will not open up the gates of heaven and pour out my blessings upon you. In other words, God says, on this one area, this one area, not anything else, but on this one area, test me. I've told you to tithe. Put me to the test. Test me. Give the tithe and see if I will not open up the gates of heaven and pour out my blessings upon you so that you will not even have room to hold the blessings that I'm going to give you. I just got to be honest with you. Personal testimony. I've seen this over and over and over again in our life. Tithing has never been a question for my wife and I. I mean, I was raised in a Christian home, a godly home, so I was taught tithing when I was a little bitty kid. And so certainly when I started working in a field cutting wheat, I learned how to tithe. And when I learned, worked at a peach farm as a teenager, I learned how to tithe. And when I painted houses, I tithed. And, and when I worked as a lifeguard, I tithed. And certainly when I became a pastor, I tithed. That, that was never an issue for us. 
Sacrificial giving was more of an issue for us and what that looked like. And when my wife and I got married, I was going to school full-time still in graduate school. And I mean, we had nothing. We had nothing. We were dirt poor. I mean, we literally sat down before we got married, took um, notebook paper, and worked out a budget. This was our budget. A dozen eggs cost, we'd write it down. A box of grits cost, and we'd write it down. And we figured out how many, how many breakfasts we could get out of the eggs and how many breakfasts we could get out of the grits. We literally budgeted that way. But even at that very early age, we decided we want to be sacrificial givers. And so we ended up giving, giving 25% of our income back to the Lord. I don't know how we did it, but we did it. And yet God blessed us in strange and unusual ways. God opened up the floodgates of heaven and poured out his blessings on us. There are some of you that need God's blessings in your life. And I want you to hear me. This is not a health and wealth gospel. This is not a name it, claim it gospel. This isn't a God, you give God a dollar and God gives you $10 gospel. That's not what I'm telling you. But I am telling you, test God and see if God will not be true to his promises and not only meet your needs, but go over and above, well beyond what you could ever ask or imagine because he will. And there are some of you that just need to put God to the test. And put God first and see if God will not step in, intervene, and begin to meet financial needs in your life. And I'm here to tell you, look at me. There are some of you that are moaning and groaning and whining and crying. And you're saying, why doesn't God? And you're not tithing. And I'm telling you, if you really want God to intervene and step up, then trust him. Do what he says and then see if he'll do what he said. And I'm here to tell you he will. Put God first. The second thing I would tell you is this. Establish a plan. Financial freedom is not just dependent on what you make. It's dependent on how you spend what you make. Proverbs 21 verse 5 says, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. You see, we always want more money, don't we? There's nothing, I mean, everybody wants a raise. Everybody wants an increase. But understand, being able to pay your bills isn't always about getting an increase. Sometimes paying your bills is, is decreasing what you spend. Sometimes it means you're not going to buy things that you think you want, that you think you need. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. Every person needs to know two things. You need to know what you make. You need to know what you make. And then break it down yearly, monthly, weekly. What do you make? And then every person needs to know what they spend. You need to know what you spend. Have you ever heard someone say, I just don't know where my money goes? You ever said that? I just don't know where my money goes. Can I just tell you, that's poor money management. If you don't know where your money goes, that's sad. You need to know where your money goes. And so you need a spending plan. This is an example of one. It's one I give out to people. It has all your expenditures, your, your giving, your living expenses, your transportation, recreation, taxes, payments, um, loans, all of that. Then your income. And what you do on a spending plan is you take what you spend and you subtract it from what you make. It's pretty basic, right? 
You write down everything that you spend, and then you subtract what you spend from what you make. Now, listen, this is the, this is the neat part. If you got a positive number, it's good. If you got a negative number, not so good. If you got a negative number, that means you got to go back to the drawing board. I mean, you got to do one of three things. I mean, there's only three good solutions. One is you work more so you can make more. Two, you decrease your spending so that you're not spending as much. Or three, you get another job. I mean, that's the only solutions, right? I mean, if I'm spending more than I make, I just can't sit back and go, well, it's going to happen. They're going to come and take your car. They're going to take your house. They're going to take that dog you spent $1,000 for. They're going to take your stuff. You can't continue to spend more than you make. It just doesn't work that way. You're not the federal government. Can't do it. And so you got to have that plan. And then I would suggest to you, after you develop the plan, the budget, I would say develop an envelope plan. An envelope plan is, is where you take those major categories, you, you put them on an envelope, and then you put cash in the envelope. You say, why do you do that when I've got money in a checking account or I've got a credit card? Well, because here's what I've discovered. Hear me. It's a whole lot harder to spend cash than it is to write a check. I mean, you, you, you're sitting back and you go to the store and you've taken your clothing envelope with you. And you've only got so much money in that clothing envelope and you, you see this pretty dress or this new gun. You go, man, I want that. And you open up the envelope and, man, you go, wow, Abe, I had... You're a good friend, Abe. George, I like you. And I mean, you don't want to get rid of your friends, do you? You kind of want to hold on to them a little bit more. I mean, it's easy to write that check. It's impersonal. It's easy to pull out the credit card and say, here, do it. But I mean, when you take that envelope out and you start taking that cash out, you're going, do I really want this? And it helps you save, establish a plan. Third, anticipate the unexpected. Solomon said it this way in Proverbs 21. He said, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Did you get that? Fools spend whatever they get. George Burns said, people tell me I should save for a rainy day, but with my luck, it'll never rain. I'll get stuck with all that money. <laughs> But let me just remind you, it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. We all need to save for a rainy day. Some people call it an emergency fund. The washing machine breaks down. The car needs a new transmission. God forbid you lose the job, your job. But, but if you've been setting money aside, if that happens, you have some money there that can help you through those difficult times. Money Magazine said that 78% of us Listen to this. This is big. 78% of us will have a major economic event happen every 10 years. 78% of us are going to have some kind of major economic event every 10 years. And we're not ready for it. 
The Federal Reserve says that nearly one half of Americans can't afford a $400 emergency without borrowing the money or selling something. Did you hear that? Over 50% of us, if we have an emergency that is $400 or more, we're going to either have to borrow the money to meet the emergency or we're going to have to sell something to be able to pay for the emergency. We need to save for a rainy day. We need to anticipate the unexpected. But then there's the future. Preparing for the future. I mean, if Jesus tarries, I think most of us want to get to an age sometime in the future where we can slow down and we don't have to work every day. Do you agree with that? And by the way, if you're younger than me and you're expecting Social Security to do that for you, <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. I mean, how can, just, just do the math. We cannot, we cannot continue to borrow from Social Security to pay the bills for our country and yet have money in there. And that's what we're doing. Sooner or later, it's going to hit the fan And if you're not setting aside money somehow, some way, for that day when you want to slow down, you're not going to be able to slow down. i, I got to tell you, I admire, I want you to hear me, I admire that 80-plus-year-old man or woman who is working at Walmart because they enjoy working. My heart breaks for that 80-year-old man or woman who is working at Walmart because they have to. You need to begin to save right now. You say, I don't have money to save. Save something. Set aside $10 of every paycheck. Do something so that you are setting aside that emergency fund so that you are preparing for that day one day if Jesus tarries so that you can slow down. Four. Control the desire to acquire. Enjoy what you already have. Someone said it this way. Use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. Use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. Barbara Daniel came into the hospitality room this morning. She said, is that what you're doing with these jeans? <laughs> Hurt my feelings. Use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. Because if you don't and you're not careful, you're going to discover one day that your yearnings, the things that you want, are more than your earnings, how much you make. And when that happens, you're going to be in trouble. That's why the author of Hebrews said this, don't love money, be satisfied with what you have. When we have this lack of satisfaction with what we have, it gets us in trouble. We see someone with a new car, and we want a new car. We see someone with a motorcycle, we want a motorcycle. We see someone that moved to a new house, we want to move to a new house. We see someone with a new gun, we got to have a new gun. We see someone with a new dress, I need a new dress, not me. <laughs> That's my private life. <laughs> you, you see what we do? 
we sit back and we see things that other people have and we go, I got to have it. And it gets us in trouble. And we end up buying things we can't afford. We put it on our card and we go into debt and we end up owing a ton of money. Let me give you some figures. Total U.S. consumer debt. Total U.S. consumer debt is $11.4 trillion. Consumer debt, $11.4 trillion. That includes mortgages, auto loans, credit cards, student loans. The average household owes over $7,200. For those that carry credit card debt, the average is $15,000. In 2017, the average student loan debt was $39,400. And believe me, it's a whole lot easier to get into debt than it is to get out of debt. You need to learn to live within your means. That's hard to do. Back when we were growing up, my wife and I made some choices. We decided that we wanted to send our kids to private school, and so we had to cut a whole lot of other things to make that happen. It was tough. I mean, we'd see other people go on vacations, and we vacationed in Hartsville, South Carolina. Went to our parents' house. It's not a vacation. And what can you do in Hartsville? Go to the cotton mill. That's it. I mean, there's not a whole lot to do there. But we decided, you know, there are more important things to do. We'd go out to eat with our, our friends on Sunday night. We'd go to Taco Bell and, you know, the kids of our, our friends would get Choco Tacos for dessert. That's a chocolate taco. And our kids would go, we want a chocolate ta taco taco. I said, you ain't getting a choco taco. <laughs> I don't care what the Gooches do. I don't care what the Dylan Becks do. We're not getting a choco taco. But here's the deal. I want you to look at me. My kids, none of them have student loan debt. And the reason is because we chose to sacrifice so that we could set money aside to help them go to college. We didn't have to do that. And if you've got a different strategy and plan, that's okay. But for us, we said there's, there's important things, more important things than taking a vacation to Mexico or taking a vacation to this. And guess what? Guess what? Today, because we sacrificed, if we want to go to Mexico, we can. If we want to go to Hawaii, we can. We sacrificed earlier so that we can enjoy and do what we want to do later. Resist the desire to acquire. Be content with what you have. Enjoy what you have. Be careful about debt. And then finally, expect to work hard. Proverbs 10 verse 4 says, Lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. I'm here to tell you that I believe good money management involves not only how we spend what we earn, but how we get what we've got. The fact is, the way that we learn the value of money is to realize how hard it is to make money. Would you agree? And how easy it is to lose 
money. Solomon tells us time and time again that, that our financial success is linked to our willingness to work hard. And though there are exceptions to the rule, and though I know that some people have a difficult time with this, I believe that there, the difference between the haves and the have-nots are often traced back to the dids and the did-nots. You say, Rocky, I don't like that. Well, let me give you an example, if I may, okay? I challenge you to look at immigrant families that moved to the United States out of difficult situations, poverty, abuse, crime, and they come to the United States. And they move into a two-bedroom apartment, and golly, it seems like they got got 100 people living in there. And they go to work doing drywall or, or putting roofs on houses or something like that. And they work from 6 o'clock in the morning to 6 or 7 o'clock at night. And, and, and before long, before long, in, in just a couple of years, they've bought a house. They, they've, they've brought their families to the United States. They're enjoying the benefits of a nation where good work and hard work really is rewarded. And so I want you to hear me. There are exceptions to the rule. And I know there are people who work hard and they just don't seem to get a break. But for the most part, if you work hard, it will be rewarded. It will be. That's why I'm opposed to so many of the abuses in our welfare system. It's not that we shouldn't help people who have legitimate needs. We should. And there are people that have legitimate needs. The orphans, the, the widows, those who cannot work because of physical or, or mental disabilities. We are obligated as believers to help them. And yet there are people that abuse the system. Because, to be honest with you, it's easy to sit back and do nothing and get paid. And if you want to find financial freedom and financial peace, work hard. It goes a long way. Now, I want to go back to the first thing. Because the first thing is, is the foundation. Put God first. That's the foundation for finding financial peace. And it's the foundation for finding peace in life. You're never going to see God move in and intervene and help with your finances unless you put him first in the area of your finances. When you do, God's going to do what you can't do. But here's the deal. When you put God first in your life, you discover peace in every area of life. So how about it? Have you put God first? You see, I believe that's what being a Christ follower is really all about. You say, well, I thought being a Christ follower was trusting Jesus to save you. Well, trusting Jesus to save you is the first step. It's how we enter his family. We come to that point where we trust him and we don't lean on what we can do. We lean on what he did and we trust him to save us. But if we trust him to save us, shouldn't that inevitably result in us Trusting Him to guide us, to direct us, to lead us? 
Shouldn't we put him first in every area of our life, our relationships, our finances, our career, every area? And when we do, it really does change everything. Have you put God first in your life? Have you come to that point that you've realized your best is not going to be good enough and never will? You've taken that first step. You've trusted Jesus to save you. And then you've surrendered your life to him. You've put him first. Saying, God, from this point on, I'm going to do it your way. Have you done that? When you do, it changes everything. It changes everything. I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes. With your head bowed with your eyes closed. If you're here and you've never taken that step to trust Jesus and put him first in your life, then i got to tell you, getting your finances in order, that's just a small part of what God wants to do in your life. Just give your life to him. He loves you so much. He's got such an incredible plan in store for you, but you've got to trust him. You've got to put him first. You've got to lean on him. When you do, he'll change everything. And so if that's what you need to do, I encourage you right here, right now, to humble yourself and pray this prayer. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly acknowledging my need. I'm a sinner. I've disobeyed you. I'm sorry. Tired of doing it my way. Jesus, I believe you love me. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the grave to save me. I'm trusting you, and I'm giving you my life. I am putting you first. Jesus, you said if I seek first your kingdom, you'll provide everything else I need. I'm going to do that. You're going to be my master. You're going to be my Lord. I'm making that commitment today. I'm giving you my all. Take control. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to give, I'll give. Whatever you want me to give up, I'll give up. I'm putting you first. Thank you for hearing me, Jesus. Thank you for saving me.